0: Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week, I have a guest joining me all the way over from England, and her name is Charlotte. She has a crazy story and has such a beautiful journey of learning to love herself at the end and really kind of an eye-opening story on what is EDS. So let's just jump right on into this episode because it's a doozy. Want to just walk us
1: through your medical journey then? Yeah. 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 (laughs) In a way, it's kind of like where to start. So I guess when I was 10 years old, I started getting like some stomach pains, going backwards and forwards to the doctors loads and loads of times. Every single test, of course, came back clear. They couldn't find anything wrong. I tried lots of different diets, but I tried gluten-free, dairy-free, FODMAP, like various other diets. And some of them helped a little bit, but they didn't like help it completely. They didn't alleviate the pain I was having. And this just happened there for, for the next few years until I was like 14 years old. By then I started getting more like joint pains. I was really sporty and I, I loved playing hockey and netball. I loved running but I would always end up like injuring myself because like my joints would always like partially just like dislocate and stuff like that. And everyone just thought I was really competitive. but That wasn't the reason, but yeah, we just thought it was one of those things. And then, yeah, when I was 14 years old, I woke up one day and I remember it was just for school and I remember, I think my mum was, she made me like a bowl of uh, cocoa pops. <laughs> I remember it was Coco Pops. And I took one bite of it and then like a couple of minutes later, like as I was eating it, I was in agony. Like my stomach was so painful. And went back to the doctors again. couldn't find a reason. That whole week I could barely eat anything because every single time I tried to eat, it was just agony. It was, I just, I can't even describe how painful it was. And yeah, that kind of carried on for a while. And I was off school for quite a long time, on and off, and... I didn't really know what to tell my friends and that kind of sucked as well. But yeah, I was having all these referrals. I was trying all these different medications. They still didn't really know what was going on. They referred me to have an endoscopy, so like a camera down my throat. And they found nothing. A picture I was, I was given, they were—they found nothing, but they were like, um, your stomach's very clean. And then again, gave me a picture of the inside of my stomach. <laughs> And I still have that picture today, actually. Uh, nice little souvenir, because so that was an interesting experience. <laughs> but yeah, and again, they didn't find anything. So they just went, we think you have IBS, like Irritable Bowel Syndrome. And I, I knew that wasn't right. Like, you know, you you, like, you know your your own body, right? And you know if something fits or something doesn't. Like, i had done research about IBS because it had been mentioned to me, and it just didn't fit it did not feel right and then I think by chance I then had another referral and to, um, to this sort of pediatric gastric consultant and yet by chance he had one month before my appointment with him been to a conference in London that linked hypermobility with stomach pain and he noticed that my joints were extra bendy and that um, yeah I was really hypermobile and yeah, I mean, if he hadn't been to this conference, he wouldn't have known this. So it's it's, it's so lucky. But then because he had and he would met some specialists that were speaking at the conference, he was able to refer me to specialists in London. And that, yeah, eventually led to my diagnosis after a few more tests and appointments, which cost quite a lot of money because they're all private as well, rather than the NHS. But yeah, then I got my diagnosis of hypermobile Alzheimer's syndrome um, when I was... 15 so it took five years to get diagnosed wow yeah but again I know people who it's been over 10 years I know one girl who took her 12 years to get diagnosed so it's it is a bit of a lottery like almost like a postcode lottery as well of like who you see where you see them which is why I feel like raising awareness is so important yeah, no, so hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or just EDS is easier to say. Yeah, it's a connective tissue disorder. <laughs> <laughs> can can be a bit of a tongue twister. I casually was like, I'm not going to even try to pronounce that. <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, a lot of people, when I try, it's like, when I see it on my nose, I see nurses and they're like, Ehlers, and I'm like, just EDS is fine. It's fine. BH EDS. Yeah, connective tissue disorder, and it basically means that all the connective tissue, particularly the collagen in my body, is faulty, and it's due to, like, a gene in my DNA. So it's an inherited condition. I think there's parts of, like, EDS on both sides of my family, and then it all just, like, lumped into me, is what it seems like. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, different parts, like, of my maternal and paternal side, yeah, have different... I don't know things like even like things related to EDS as well because there are lots of different conditions that are related. So yeah, because it connects, <clears throat> because it affects the connective tissue, everything is basically extra stretchy. So like all the ligaments that's supposed to hold my joints in place, extra stretchy. So that's why I can sort of partially dislocate or even dislocate my joints much easily than <laughs> much more easily than like someone else who doesn't have EDS. And that was happening with my stomach like connected tissue tissues in your intestines and everything your digestive system and like the walls of it and instead of like contracting to like push the food through what my body was doing it was like stretching like so the food was just sitting in my gut rather than like pushing it through to then eventually exit <laughs> to put it politely but yeah it just wasn't contracting and functioning in the way it was supposed to and After my diagnosis, I then had lots of very invasive tests. And I think I was 16 by the time I had all these tests. And as a 16 year old, I think the last thing that you want is to have someone literally poking around your butt, (laughs) talking all these things, which is really embarrassing. And also all my friends, like, you know, because i have been ill, they wanted to know. What was wrong and what medications were I taking? Um, Am I okay? And it turns out, you know, a lot of the medication I was taking were like gut stimulants to try and get my gut working and also laxatives and stuff like that. And that was really, to me, I was so embarrassed. I mean, now, you know, all years later, I, there is no shame in it. I know that. But at the time, right. when I had so many other like mental health challenges going, going on, it was, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. I mean, I had lots of really invasive tests trying to work out what parts of my digestive system worked, what parts didn't work. And they found that it was weird though, because they found found like the parts that worked and didn't work, but I didn't actually get the results until a few years later. Like they didn't actually tell me because they didn't really say anything. And then a few years later, I had an appointment with a nurse. I think it was like a colorectal nurse or something. And if, this is the weirdest appointment of the hair basically she was teaching me how to go to the toilet it was like it was the weirdest because like like things like having a like having a stool like to put your feet on so your like your legs were more like in a squatting position okay. apparently can be a lot easier and she was talking about all the stuff and things I can do to make it easier to go to the toilet and I was like this is really embarrassing I don't need this at the time I was I think I was 19 years old by this point and I was like oh Oh God, I don't want that. I don't want this. But in that appointment, she then mentioned the things that they found in those tests when I had an hour 16 years old. And basically they found that I my colon was essentially paralyzed, like it just couldn't contract to move the food through. And that I had three different types of prolapses, like in my rectum, which was why it was really difficult and really painful for me to learn like do my business, as you say. Yes, I think all those years before I was just being given laxative after laxative after gut stimulant. And the problem is with that kind of thing is that the more like things like that you take, the more your body then becomes dependent on it and the more used to it gets. So then your tolerance is a lot higher. So I then ended up being on like three or four different types of these laxatives, gut stimulants, all maximum dose dosages. Oh my gosh. And... Yeah, it's and it still wasn't great. And like I was then still sticking to gluten and dairy free as they made it a lot worse. And then I went on and off, sort of trying to eat, trying to eat solid food because a lot, a lot of the time actually soups and smoothies, like blending everything, was a lot easier to digest and everything. And then what year was it? It was 2017 in June. I woke up and I was also drinking a lot of coffee at that point because coffee is also very good at that kind of thing. And yeah, I woke up and I just, my stomach, it felt like a bowling ball. It was just so heavy and I'm so distended. Like everything was just sitting there and I was in so much pain and I just, I just couldn't eat anything. And if I was, I was being sick. It was awful. So I eventually went on these like nutritional supplement drinks they're like 300 ml, like small little drinks, like lots of nutrients and all the vitamins and stuff you need. Because I phoned my GP and I was like, uh, if I'm not going to be able to eat anything, I'm going to become very unwell very, very quickly. Yeah. And i would had these drinks on and off before in the years before. And I was like, I think I need these again because food is just not agreeing with me at all. And I don't want my health to go even, I don't want my health to get even worse. So I lived off those drinks for over a year and I had four different flavors. I had peach, apple, strawberry, and I think raspberry was the other one. Oh no, orange as well. I had five, I had five, I alternated, but yeah, I just lived. And sometimes I'll drink almond milk as well because at that point I was dairy free and everything. And I was just (laughs) carrying around. Like sometimes I go up to London to see my friends and in my bag would be a whole load of these bottles, uh, all these like laxatives and like sachets of medications that I was taking. And oh, it was awful. And I actually couldn't leave the house in the mornings because without being like too much information, like having all those laxatives and those drinks, it was almost like an all or nothing effect. Like if I didn't have them and I ate food like I'll be in a lot of pain and nothing would happen. But then because I was having all of it, then I would need to like live in the toilet <laughs> Just sort of feel like that. So yeah, and that was really I mean, at the time I was also trying to work, I was trying to get a job. I was 20 years old at the time. I was trying to be financially independent. And yeah, I and mean, I was working a part-time job in my local town just some afternoons a week because so I couldn't do the mornings, because that was when I was living sort of in the bathroom. <laughs> And I saw uh, a colorectal surgeon and he told me that he doesn't think there's anything that can be done uh, because I was a too complex case. And I was like, am I just supposed to, to live like this? Like this, I'm not, this is not, this is no quality of life. Right. This is literally just existing for the sake of it. Like I wasn't actually living my life. And... But just before my appointment, I had done like reading and the, like various like medical forums, like Inspire is one of them. I quite like Inspire and like people sharing experiences. And I came across a stoma, and I wasn't really sure what it was. And I did some more reading into it, um, and I thought that it might be able to help me. I was actually with my partner at the time, and I, when I mentioned this to him. His first question was, does this mean you'll be able to eat cheese? <laughs> <laughs> question, he has his priority straight. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I don't know, maybe, never know. So I did some more reading into it. And yeah, so a stoma is when like, there are lots of different types, but I was looking at an ileostomy where basically the end of your small intestine is brought to the surface of your abdomen and then like... Ah uh, waste goes out of it and it's collected in like a bag or a pouch that's stuck to your abdomen. And I thought, well, if I had this, then this would then like bypass my colon and rectum as they're the parts of my digestive tract that don't work. My stomach and my small intestine pretty much work. okay. My stomach can be a bit slow, but it it works quite well. So I mentioned that to the colon section and he said,, Ooh, Maybe, maybe not. We're not really sure, but we, we could give it a go if you want. And that didn't give me a lot of confidence at all. Yeah. <laughs> and he said he put me on the waiting list. And this was in, yeah, 2000, uh, it's the end of 2017. This is now the end of 2022. And I still actually haven't heard from them. So I don't actually know if he put me on the waiting list or not. I think he just wow. said he was going to, and he never did, because I've never heard back from them. <laughs> so, I mean, this was in London, and I live... I don't live in London. I'm sort of South England. So I was emailing a whole load of like local hospitals, trying to see if they could help. I think I emailed four. And again, they all turned around and said, no, nope, too complex case. We don't want to go. No, nope, you've got too much like medical history. And I was like, oh, God, this must be someone like I, this. It has to be something. But luckily, a family friend, my parents were talking to um, a family friend and she used to be a nurse and she knew of a specialist bowel hospital in North London called St. Mark's Hospital, which specializes a lot with like Crohn's and colitis patients as well. And lots of different bowel conditions and they're like, they're the, the best. So we... Had a We found a surgeon who was really well-regarded. We paid for a private appointment with him because we just knew that the waiting list was so long. And we were really privileged to be in that position. So we went to see him and he was like, yeah, no, something needs to be done. Like, this is just going to get worse. And you're actually going to, because even though those drinks did have a lot of nutrients in, they didn't have everything in. So like in the long term, I would actually be really unhealthy and something has to be done. And he was like, "Yeah, no, let let's give this a go. Let's 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 do this." And so, yay! <laughs> I came bouncing out that appointment because it just felt so hopeful. And I was like, "Yes!" And yeah. the Doctor listened. He didn't try and gaslight like me. He didn't try and pretend that's nothing wrong. Because I mean, at the beginning of all this, doctors told me that it was stress. It was puberty. One doctor told me I was being hysterical. I was a teenage girl being hysterical about everything. And yeah, so. It was nice to actually be listened to and actually like understood. So yeah, and then I think it was six months later, actually I had the operation for stoma and uh, it took me about three months to like wean myself off liquids because like it was literally like a baby. I was starting off with like mashed potato and scrambled eggs and like baby kind of food. And then graduating back on solid food because by that point I had been on a liquid diet for over a year. You're about to processing. Yeah. do it anymore. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't used to it. So it was like, Whoa, what is this? And also like even like my jaw, my jaw wasn't used to chewing. And I found like chewing, like, oh, it's really tiring. Like, yeah, it was weird. And like, even like using a knife and fork because again, that's something I hadn't done for well, a very oh, long yeah. But it really does make a difference I mean even like eating such like a social thing um like at Christmas everyone was talking into like a big Christmas dinner and I just had this little drink had <laughs> a glass of wine which made it a bit better but at the same time it wasn't the same right so yeah and I started to wean myself on solid food and then I actually then tried a bit of gluten and I tried a bit of dairy and they were actually fine it turns out it was now my colon was sort of I still had my colon at that point, but it just wasn't in use. It was just sitting there. But yeah, at that point, it was actually okay for me to eat like bread and cheese. So yes, I can eat cheese, which is amazing. I love it. It's one of my favorite foods. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and that's when I started like raising awareness online Lyme and um, trying to break the stigma um, because... I didn't actually know until I had the surgery that a family member of mine has a stoma bag as well due to cancer. But I didn't know this until I had surgery because he was just really embarrassed and ashamed of it. And it's just made me think like, you know, there are so many people who are avoiding this life set, this life changing and life saving surgery because of like the bad, like stigmas and negative attitudes around it. Like in Grey's Anatomy, I'm a big Grey's Anatomy fan. I love it. But a few times in the like, a few times they when they mention stoma bags, it's always done in like a negative light, and that really annoys me. And it's that kind of thing. And then yeah, I carried on for a few more years, and then during those years when I was sort of signed to raise awareness, my joints actually started to get worse. So I started to like partially dislocate or sublapse a bit more. So my ankles can come come out a lot more easily which is really painful my knees click a lot and like whenever i go upstairs my right hip kind of like pops out a bit yeah my shoulders as well my jaw it starts to click and partially I dislocated my jaw in april and that was so painful i was brushing my teeth and it just came out (laughs) so i'm still trying to sort of deal with all of those but a few months ago, I had another surgery to then take my colon out because it was clear that the stoma surgery had worked, which was great. And my colon had actually, because it was just sitting there, sometimes what happens that when it just sits there, not a use, there can be like, I think can happen like a bacterial imbalance kind of thing. And it had developed another condition called diversion colitis. And basically like the inside of my colon was like really inflamed, ulcerated and bleeding and everything which was found during a colonoscopy at the end of last year, which was awful. My <laughs> like colonoscopies for a lot of people aren't actually that bad, but I don't respond to anaesthetics very well. And I was given a very low dose, so it was still very painful. So, yeah. And then, yeah, in July I had my colon taken out, which is great. I don't need it anymore. And it's helped a lot of the pain that I was getting, like, in my stomach and my lower back, because it was all inflamed and everything. And, yeah, that kind of just takes... We, to today i'm still dealing with a lot of joint stuff i think like digestive wise that's pretty much sorted hopefully such would yeah it's been a long like 10 years
0: <laughs> long day, yeah. it's interesting that from one thing they have to it's kind of like they have to treat each symptom separately there's not like one treatment for the entire syndrome
1: mm. you know? yeah it's yeah i mean there is no cure and like again it because it is everywhere like connective tissue is like also in your like your mouth so like my gums can bleed a bit more easily so i have a dentist who knows about the condition and knows to be extra gentle because uh-huh. one one time i went to the, uh, like another hygienist who wasn't very good and she just didn't i don't think she just realized that's her. and so she was sort of doing as she normally was. she wasn't taking too much care and i was just bleeding everywhere so I have a much better hygienist who is who knows to be very, very gentle. But yeah, it's annoying that I can't... It's, there's not just like one thing to help and that's it. Like there's lots of different things I can do to help. Like I have lots of different options for to help my joints. So I've got like various, well, medications and like anti-inflammatory medications. The one thing that always helps with pain-related things is heat. Like a heat pad or a hot water bottle... Although my family calls hot water bottles, hockle buckles. I don't know why. I call it, a hockle buckle? <laughs> so yeah, I always find like, like heat related stuff always really helps. But what is more difficult, I think, to deal with other than my joints is like the brain fog and the chronic fatigue. They can be really, really difficult. and really frustrating as well. Cause I'm constantly, I'm constantly tired. I'm, <laughs> I'm always wanting to like have a nap. I'm always forgetting things as well. Like, with brain fog, like, you know, sometimes I'll put like the most random thing in the fridge, like, <laughs> without even meaning to. Like, I think once I try to put the kettle in the fridge and I realized, no, the kettle doesn't go in the fridge. No. <laughs> but then if I didn't have this, then I wouldn't have found like all these amazing people that I have connected with online. I don't like to like just focus on the pos- positive stuff because like the negative stuff is really valid and can really suck. So I don't like to be like, I don't really like toxic positivity, but I do also like the fact that there is still something that has come out of it. It's not all doom and gloom. Like I do have amazing friends who understand, understand my body <laughs> and understand like its limits. And for that, I am really, really grateful, but no, it's been, it's difficult like growing up with chronic illnesses and medications and getting like like that diagnosis as well. Cause it can be so difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to handle emotionally, especially at that age when you're still, like, pumped full of hormones and already yeah. <laughs> going through, like, body image issues. That's a lot to handle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, my body image was, like, I think it was, like, below rock bottom. It was, I mean, I developed a lot of, like, yeah, mental health challenges, which I think then also affected, like, EDS as well. And, like, it all just spiraled yeah, I think there is actually a link between EDS and anxiety as well. I think like researchers and, stuff and people, because they're starting to do more research now, because they're getting more awareness, which is great. And yeah, they have found there is a link between even like hypermobility and anxiety. Also with like ADHD as well, I think. I could be wrong on that, but I think there is a link there as well. Yeah, <laughs> even long few years. Yeah, it sounds like it.
0: So can you, I, and I've seen the video online that you've posted about how you care for your stoma, but do you mind just kind of like walking us through what
1: that process is and like how often you have to do that? Yeah, of course. So with my stoma bag, I like, I empty it about, well, it varies, but I like to also say about maybe like eight times a day or six times a day. I mean, t- I mean, typically like whenever I have to go to the toilet like whenever I have to like wee anyway, I then just into my bag and then I changed the bag about when I remember sometimes I don't remember and then like the adhesive on the bag can like irritate my skin and as like my skin's really sensitive that's not great but then so I try to change it like every three to five days depending also depending on what's going on as well so what I do is I have this really cool like adhesive remover spray and spray that on and that kind of peels off really nicely because the adhesive is so strong because, well, you want it to stick to your stomach if it came off, then that would be a huge mess. So I use a special spray to actually get it off without it being painful. I sort of give it like a quick wipe, make sure the area is nice and clean. I have like this barrier spray, It kind of just lines sort of my skin with like this film to just protect it in case the bag leaks Um, and also protects it against the adhesive as well and I think it's got vitamin E in which is supposed to be good for your skin so I spray that on and I've also got another like barrier film wipe that I also like to put on as well I think yeah just protect my skin everyone is different a lot of people don't use these but I find they help personally and then I have this little like uh ring that. I kind of stretch to sort of fit the size of my stoma, which I'd say it's about a, like, diameter. It's, like, to about just over an inch wide, I think. Okay. Yeah, about an inch. Yeah, it's about, it's about an inch wide. Yeah, three centimetres an inch. So I sort of stretch it sort of to the size of my stoma and sort of put that on, and the barrier ring helps to, helps to prevent, again, leaks, because if my bag leaks on the ring, the ring then, like, puffs up. So then, it doesn't so ha- the like waste the output doesn't find its way to my skin. If that makes mm. sense. So it like, creates this this barrier and um, this barrier, this blockage, this sort of border to prevent it from actually getting on my skin. And um, because if it sits, if any light like, output sits on my skin for a long time, that can really irritate it and become really quite painful and cause lots of um, issues. So I have that to protect my skin, and then yeah, I just put the base plate with the adhesive on and the bag on then it just goes on top it's quite it's quite simple really it takes a long while to get used to like at first it took i think it took like a good hour hour and a half to change my bag because i was trying to like no i didn't really know what i was doing i mean there are a lot of people sharing things online and there are also lots of youtube videos of people changing their stoma bags which I, like, studied before my surgery because I wanted to be prepared. But, yeah, I mean, also, like, when you have a brand-new stoma, it's really big because everything's all swollen after surgery, but then as you start to heal, the stoma then starts to get smaller. So then you have to, like, adjust, like, the sizes that you cut the bag to make sure that fits over the stoma okay. I don't know if I've explained that very well. No, no, I followed that, yeah. Amazing. But yeah, I mean, for me, it took it took about three, four months for the stoma to like shrink down like to its size that it is now. The skin around my stoma took a very long while to heal because, because my skin, it scars and scars very easily. It heals really slowly and it's just really sensitive. So that took... Sorry, I, I read that also part of EDS
0: is that skin takes, it's more irritable, more prone to tears and things like
1: that and it takes longer to heal yeah yeah 100 and it's also more stretchy as well i like, read that too <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like it's all the skin in my hand can be like really stretchy and stuff Oof. and people go okay but <laughs> like my bro- my brother he hasn't been like he hasn't i don't think i don't think he has eds he has other like other conditions um which are autoimmune related But then he like sometimes on his neck, like stretched the skin out on his neck. And I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) Very very stretchy skin. So, yeah, I mean that the skin around my stoma took, yeah, about a year to heal. It was really sore for quite a while. But we got there in the end. And, yeah, it's why I just try and do as much as I can to make sure that it's protected against the adhesive. But honestly, once you put the bag on and like I don't, feel I don't feel anything I don't feel like there's like like, like something stuck to my skin I guess I'm just used to it but I also don't feel my stoma like because our intestines they don't have any nerve endings so you can't feel them I can't feel it when I touch it the only bit that might hurt is like the skin around my stoma but the actual stoma itself the actual intestine bit there's yeah there's no feeling like someone could like prod it really hard and I wouldn't know It might be damaged if it was punched or anything, but I wouldn't realise. So that's something I always thought was quite cool. But it basically just feels like the inside of your cheek. That's what it feels like. Wow. Yeah. So I know a lot of people, they can get a bit uneasy about that kind of um, stuff. But I always love... Biology. I love, I love watching like surgery videos and stuff. I, I love like all the medical things. So it didn't faze me at all. I just thought it was quite cool that I've got a bit of intestine sticking up for me. Well, that's kind of lucky then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have some people in my family who can be quite squeamish about that kind of thing. So it's just as well that it's me and not them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: So you take care of your stoma and are you still on other medications or were you I, like back off of those?
1: I mean, I don't take anything for my digestive health, um, pretty much. I take like sort of, I make sure that I have lots of vitamins and stuff just in general to keep my body healthy. But apart from that, it's mainly just pain management. So I take like anti-inflammatories for my joints because I think particularly my hips are inflamed. I was trying to see, I actually found a local rheumatologist in my area which was like a miracle when I was like, Oh my God, I don't have to travel up to London. And I was booked to, I had an appointment with him. And then a few weeks before my appointment, he decided to retire. So I then lost that appointment. Oh, no. um, so I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't really know what to do now. And I still don't. I'm still trying to find someone to I think actually help with my joints because managing that pain is becoming quite difficult. I'm looking at different options at the moment and particularly like as I'm trying to sleep, like I'm a side sleeper. It also works better for my stoma as a side sleeper because like everything falls like more easily into the bag. But because of that, my jaw can sometimes like slide out of place sometimes like due to like the gravity and stuff. So I get a bit of insomnia anyway, but like that on top of trying to keep like my jaw in place when I'm trying to sleep is really challenging I have some friends who have had like Botox like, in their jaw, apparently to help keep it in place, which I'm finding more, more about, but I don't know. It doesn't work for everyone. Like all these things, everything works differently for everyone. But yeah. it's still quite a cool, <laughs> quite a cool solution, I guess. But yeah, a lot of it is all just yeah pain management. So yeah, lots of anti-inflammatories. Which sometimes helps, sometimes doesn't help. I have tried like really strong medications, like sort of opioid kind of stuff, but then I was on them for a long period of time. And then my body became dependent on them, which was really dangerous. My doc, well, then I saw like another doctor and he was like, mm, you should probably come off these. And I did that. And he told me just to go cold turkey, just don't take them. And my body went through the like worst withdrawal effects, like was awful so it's something I definitely would highly uh recommend to not do <laughs> just try and avoid opioids for like a long period of time you need them for a few days yeah but never take them for a long period of time because it's not it's not worth it well that's my that's my experience anyway that's hard on the body yeah
0: so I also know from following you on Instagram that you do some modeling mm-hmm can you talk to us about what got you into doing that and maybe talk about some of the obstacles that you faced with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've done it on and off, I, I guess, yes, yeah, since I've had my stoma. I mean, if you told me like 10 years ago that I would have done things like that, I would have I probably would have laughed in your face, to be honest. I would never have believed that. I think just because I was so insecure about my body. But then actually, in a really weird way, having my stoma operation has helped with my body confidence more than anything, because I think as I started to heal, as I started to eat food and trust food and love food again, like it wasn't hurting me anymore. I think I just really appreciated my body and also food a lot more. I just really sort of, it really helped my relationship with it. And th- through that, I think, yeah, I started to accept my body now like a lot more. It's not perfect, but no one's body's perfect. It's, I mean, how boring would the world be if we all had the same clone? So, yeah, I started doing a few little bits here and there. I saw on Instagram that they were looking for someone with EDS to do a piece in the magazine. And I was like, I have EDS. <laughs> and yeah, I took part in this shoot and it was about how an apple a day doesn't necessarily keep the doctors away, that kind of thing. And I was like, I love that. So I did that and I did a few other sort of shoots and campaigns with... My lovely friend who I met on Instagram, um, Sylvia Mack, who does um, love this figure. She's absolutely incredible. I love her so much. But she is a burn survivor and puts together lots of campaigns, people with scars and differences and disabilities. So I've done lots of different sort of um, shoots and campaigns with her. And that's what really, yeah, got me into doing it. I've done, yeah, I've done a few other sort of like catwalk things. I, I did London Fashion Week in September, which was really cool. It was with an organization called London represents and they were showcasing like diversity and like disability and like basically like celebrating literally everybody and that everybody deserves to be represented and, you know, go on the catwalk because I mean, I remember at I think I was 15, 16 years old and we had this like careers kind of day at school and a woman from the fashion industry something I don't know came in I think she does I think she was like in a modelling industry I think she was like booking models and she came to talk to us about um, the industry and stuff like that and the way she was talking like I'm I'm about five I'm five foot two and a half and immediately I felt as though even if I wanted to do something like that because I'm not six foot I because I'm not tall and skinny I couldn't do that and I felt so I don't know, I came out of her sort of talk and I think she was like trying to make it be inspiring and take part in the fashion industry. And if anything else, I just felt, I don't know. So I don't know, I was I was made to feel small. Like I was made to feel small in like every sense of the word as then like, I would never achieve anything like that in my dreams. So then to like 10 years later, take part in a London Fashion Week event is mind blowing. And it really shows a lot of people have these narrow ideas of what models like do and don't look like, but models can look like anything. I had someone comments on that, on the video I put out about it saying, oh, they really let anyone be models these days. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, why not? Like, there is no reason not to have anyone as model because having yourself and seeing yourself like represent, uh, represented is is also so underrated Like when you don't see yourself on sort of TV, when you don't see yourself in magazines, it feels like you don't have a sense of belonging in this world. You don't have a sense of belonging in the society that we live in. And then to see other people like you actually, you know, being proactive and taking part in the things that you would love to take part in, or even if you wouldn't like to take part in something like that, I think it can still really help your confidence and your well-being and also just your self-acceptance because... Was so easy. It's so easy for us to criticize ourselves and put ourselves down and sort of like nitpick at like every single little part of ourselves that we don't like. And then to see someone who, you know, maybe looks like them as well, you know, just like not let say not even just embracing, but just accepting who they are and not letting and like still doing the things that they want to do, like no matter what. I don't know. I think that's really important, and it's something that I think. Like young people like they should know that as well because I grew up with a very toxic so I, I I grew up as social media was being born like I think Snapchat came into play when I was 13 14 14 years old I think and then I think Instagram was right like I think a bit before that I can't quite remember now the exact years they were developed but I mean I grew up as social media. starting to become a more part of our lives and it really affected how i saw myself because i just saw this very skewed sort of society ideal and body image and i think that if you actually use social media as a tool to know that you are not alone rather than using it as this sort of toxic sort of pinterest board it's actually much more helpful
0: (laughs) i liked that description that social media is a pinterest board
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think because I had all these screenshots of all these like sort of women, girls, sort of people that I wanted to look like, and all these like yeah, like toxic aspirations of like like what I should be, because that's all I saw. I didn't see anything else, and then I just went down this wormhole. But if you actually see like you know everyone of all different like who are all completely different and all all different backgrounds, then I feel. Like, I don't know, to me it feels like you do have a place in the world, as cheesy might sound, I don't know. But it really, it it helps, it it, do, it does help, like, your mental wellbeing and like, especially with COVID at the moment, like, everyone's mental health is really, it also costs in crisis that we're living through at the moment as well. Everyone's mental health is so fragile and it's so important to make sure we take care of that in any way we can. And I think, like, like Ethan Sword as well, I think, like the numbers over the last few years, have soared, which is absolutely terrifying. Like kids as young as five, six years old are starting to criticize their body and going on diets and that, that is, it's, it's horrible. So, and it's not what we should be teaching, like, you know, young people to actually, to be doing. We should be teaching them, you know, sort of like how to cook, how to love food and actually not say it's a bad thing because we do need food to live. Like ironically, I went from not being able to um, eat some food, uh not wanting to eat food, not being able to eat food, and then both wanting to and being able to eat food. And it's, it's, it's been a very, very complicated and long relationship, but it's, it's so much better on this side. It's so much better actually, yeah, wanting to eat it if you can. I know that's really, really difficult when you have lots of different like chronic conditions, but I think that's why I appreciate food more because I know what it's like not being able to eat it and that sucks.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, you kind of like gone from, you know, not trusting that your body can handle food yeah. to like retraining kind of the neurological pathways to be like, no, now food is good. Like my body can process it. My body can handle it. Yeah. So that's, that's so healthy to be able to retrain that pathway and like get your brain to understand that food is a good thing.
1: Yeah. It was almost like I don't know, like a switch in my in my brain. Like I don't know. I, I felt like yeah. I just completely the perspective. I just completely switched the perspective around without even realizing. To be honest, it just it just happened it's not like that for everyone but it's I it was it's weird but it's something that I definitely never want to take for granted I think a lot of at the time when I was sort of like starting to raise awareness of like stomas and stuff online I then also started to become like I started to follow more accounts to do with mental health and body image and things like that and that was a complete change on like the accounts I was following when I was growing up. I was following like people that like all different types of people who were basically having these really like positive messages of, you know, just self-acceptance rather than like the images before where it was just bad, bad, bad. <laughs> so yeah, it just completely, yeah. It changed my view completely, which I'm going to be forever grateful for. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I have one more question for you on my list here. How does it feel to represent other aspiring models who may be facing
1: illness or disabilities? I think I always find I I don't like. I'm not very good at singing my own praises like I don't I always feel really uncomfortable doing that. Most of that. us aren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, when I was primary school, like I was nine years old, I drew a picture and my friend at the time, I was quite proud of it. And I was saying I was, I was proud of it. And it was all the parrots and I was nine years old. My friend told me I was boasting and I feel like ever since then, I feel like I'm not allowed to say anything nice about myself, but that's, I'm getting that changing. <laughs> but I mean, every single time I do get a message from someone saying that I have helped them in some ways, that honestly, I I never actually expected to get anything like that. I didn't ever think I would I would ever be able to make that difference in helping someone actually like find acceptance within their body, within themselves, actually helping them, actually show, knowing that they're comfortable in showing their body rather than hiding it away. So knowing that they can go to the beach if they want, knowing that you know they can go for that um, modelling uh, job if they want to and also just breaking down those like stigmas and stereotypes within like that industry as well like the fashion industry is a very difficult industry as well uh, for many different reasons but I think there are some Um, there are some amazing people doing some amazing work and actually bringing diversity and actually having inclusion at the forefront of everything they do it's getting there very slowly but it is getting there and having people wanting to be a part of that, wanting to actually put themselves forward for these sort of um, these modeling shows, these catwalks, these photo shoots, what having people being more confident in doing that, that's amazing. That's something that should always be happening. That's something that should have always been happening. And yeah, I mean, I've taken part in some amazing campaigns and I've met so many fantastic people with like all well, like various scars and differences, disabilities and chronic illnesses. And it's I think those are like my, my favourite kind of days because I love meeting every, everyone. I love hearing different stories and I love just seeing people happy in their skin and that's that's how it should be. Um, we spend so long hating ourselves when we should be doing the opposite. We should be loving our bodies because it's our body. We're going to be living with them the rest of our lives. They're Our bodies are our home and it's time to work with them and not against them. Actually like help your body rather than try and like damage it and tell it off and go no yeah that's yeah I feel that's a very long-winded answer (laughs) I think it's interesting that
0: you're talking about how amazing it is that people are doing that and like totally left out that like you're one of those people though like you're on the forefront of putting yourself out there and it's such a great thing for young, for young people to see that on social media at fashion week, that there's people like you out there. That's
1: doing this. Yeah. I hope so. Again, it's the, I'm not very good at saying my own phrases, but yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, I never thought I would be able to make a difference. And the the idea that I am is absolutely incredible and it's, it's why I love doing what I do. I love raising awareness. I love breaking stigmas and breaking taboos and making people feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it's quite funny. <laughs> um, so especially sort of talking about poo. A lot of people don't like talking about poo, but I think it's quite funny and it's also really important and it's life saving. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very, re- I'm very, very like privileged to be in this position as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time and coming on and sharing your story with me and chatting I this was beautiful I loved it
1: (laughs) yeah thank you so much for asking me to come on I've absolutely loved it and yeah I'm just really happy to be raising more awareness and everything so yeah Yeah. thank you so much for asking
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast at. If you would like to further support this podcast, please join me on Patreon. And as promised, there are some new Patreon tier features. So for those of you new who are joining, you can get all of these ad-free forever, always on Patreon. There's some special stickers that you get to support the show. And also, I do this all on my own. I have no other producer. It's just me. I reach out to everyone I write the questions, I do the interviews, I edit the audio, and all the posting. So Patreon is really the only way that I get anything back for my time. And so I'm adding a few more things to the tiers. So there will now be monthly recap emails. So if you're part of Patreon, at the end of each month, I'll send out an email giving you kind of a synopsis of what each episode was, who the guests were, and of course all of the resources will be linked. So if you're looking for those resources... Now you don't have to go hunting for them, they'll get sent right to you. And lastly, you can also, through Patreon, you have the opportunity to ask me anything at any time. You don't just have to wait for an Ask Me Anything episode. You can send me a question, and I am more than happy to answer right away. And let's see here. I think that was it for Patreon. If you would like to share your story or know someone who would, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com, or on social media.